0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Women's Sports Matter podcast. My name is Gianna Castro and I am your host. Today, we're going to be talking about climate change with a very special guest. Can you introduce yourself, please?
1: Hello, my name is Georgia Scar, and I'm a junior in high school. I'm from London, but I live in Chicago, and I'm an environmentalist. I'm actually the co-founder and co-executive director of EcoCircle International, which is a youth-led international nonprofit, but I'm sure I'll be able to expand on that. So before we jump into
0: climate change and all the wonderful stuff that Georgia does, we're going to hit to a, a beautiful, we're going to get that wonderful ad read from yours truly about today's sponsor, Anchor. So without further ado, let's just jump right into it. Play that ad read. Hey everyone, it's Gianna Bell Castro from the Women's Sports Matter podcast. And today I'm going to be discussing the sponsor of this show, Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Wasn't that just absolutely, absolutely outstanding. I always have to talk about my ad read because I'm very proud of it. Um, And I wanted to say that every single time. It's getting a little bit annoying for me. um, But I, that's the actual, that's the only ad read that I like that I've recorded. Because I don't like writing things down or scripting anything because I'm just out of breath. I mean, the episode I did uh, yeah, uh, two days ago, I was reading about um, people that were running for Congress and uh, the Senate. And I was like reading off their pages. I'm like, this is why this is why I don't do scripts. But uh, this is not what today's episode is about by any mm-hmm. means. So um, can you start off by talking about why you are interested in this area?
1: Yeah, Um So just a bit of backstory into kind of myself as an activist and all of that. So in elementary school, I started to get involved, involved in activism and social justice. And I kind of worked in the realm of trying to fight food deserts in Chicago. I was quite, quite young at the time. And I I also did, you know, talks at charities and stuff like that, which sounds fancy, but they, they just like to have a stage that says stuff. So it's really not. But Then, as I got older, it kind of started to become a more independent thing, and that I feel like was taken more seriously rather than just kind of like the token child that says something. Um, And this was kind of grew um, after the Parkland shooting, and there was the March for Our Lives movement that was started. And I feel like this was kind of a catalyst for a lot of youth activists that I meet now in in the U.S. Um, and Uh, My friend Chloe and I, who we still work together on activism a lot, we do almost everything together, Um, we were one of the leaders in our school's walkout, and following the walkout we started a club in our school called Social Justice Action, which focused on social justice issues and basically turning um, education into tangible action um, through like initiatives and workshops and all that stuff, all that jazz, and I did that the first, um, what was that? my freshman year was when kind of social justice action took off and all that much for our lives was when I was in eighth grade Um, but then after that um, I started to realize that a lot of the issues we were talking about intersected with environmentalism and I've always loved nature and all that kind of stuff but never really to the point where I felt like I would want to dedicate my life to it because I felt like that would be ignoring the needs of humans and then when I began to realize how Climate change and environmentalism was so intersectional, and it kind of made me realize that it is one of the most serious issues of our time. And I really don't think that's a hyperbolic statement to make. Um, that's when I was like, wow, I really do need to be getting more involved with this, because almost every issue that we talk about today, from immigration to um, homelessness to even food deserts, it all ties into environmentalism in some way, shape or form. So then it turned into basically a school club focused on the same principle of education, leading tangible action, which then developed into my nonprofit. So really focused on the fact that environmentalism is incredibly intersectional. So.
0: I remember um, when the Parkland shooting happened and I was at, I was, uh, I think it was after school when I found out about it because my school has like a strict, uh, at the time I went to a private school and the school had no strict, uh, strict, no phone policy. So I didn't really hear about it until later in the day. And um, I think for me too, that's when I started realizing something isn't right. And so I started to like, move into doing other things my school had a walkout as well which was a little surprising uh for me but um it was heavily criticized and it was more of like a visual a uh, visual kind of thing where um we did like a few prayers and everything like that but it really wasn't like what uh, the public school that i then transferred to had like a full thing it was two very different things but After Parkland, I started to realize, okay, but how can I do something? Um, So then a year later, I I joined Students' Demand Action and that was was quite something. And now I do a lot within um, that group. So Parkland, I think, did a lot for a lot of these activists that are starting to uh, really take shape and to become elected and to really uh, help out locally. Um, Can you talk more about uh, your nonprofit?
1: Yeah, so um, the nonprofit that I co-founded is called EcoCircle International. So um, it was started by kind of the clubs that um, I ran with my friend that I was telling you about that was focused on bringing education to tangible action because um, I truly do think that education is one of the keys to solving almost all of the world's issues. However, how do we take that education into, as I said, tangible action, because you really need to know about the subject in order to tackle with it in order for everyone to be aware of it. But just because you know about it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do anything. So it's really bridging this gap between actually making action and creating initiatives and learning about it, because those are two steps that are very important, but I feel like one's not very effective without the other. So how it works is um, we have different educational platforms. We have our blog, um, our podcast, Eco Insights, and we have our fellowship. And the fellowship is kind of where all of this action side of it um, comes into fruition. And currently we're just in uh, the fellowship is in North, South and Central America. We work on initiatives around the world and with different people from around the world. But um, the fellowship works that we have two months of um, environmental education and it's entirely taught by youth for youth. Um, and then we have one month of leadership training, uh, which is basically kind of using our skills and my skills as an experienced environmental activist, however, we're all learning. And, you know, I learn equally as much from the fellows as I hope they do me. Um, and kind of just how to really make a change and how to do an initiative, because everyone talks about leadership and entrepreneurship and making a change, but no one actually tells you how. And I think learning from experience is crucial, but there are a lot of mistakes and skills that you just need that can be taught, period. So it's really about helping that, and then you get partnered with a mentor, I'm one of the mentors, um, and then that mentor will help guide you through your own initiative. So you put all your learning into practice, and you then make tangible change in your community, and we really focus on an intersectional approach, um, and interdisciplinary approach as well, so it's really taking the interests of the fellow as well as their own skills, whether that be art or English or STEM, and kind of using that to help them generate something that does really make sustainable change in their community.
0: So you're like really taking charge. You're making Mm -hmm. them uh, do all these different things. You're not just sitting there learning, or you're actually going out and doing all these different things. And that is cool. I remember, um, so I, 2019, I got involved with um, Illinois Youth Climate Movement. Uh, one of the leaders within that went to my high school, and um, I was like, "Oh, that's cool." I was also involved um, in like the environmental club my senior year because that—that's kind of when I realized, yeah, this—this this isn't right either. I've had a lot of those moments. Oh, no, that's not good. Um, and. I remember going to the, the climate march strike, whatever we want to call it uh, in September. And I don't know if you went, but that was the first time I actually did something. And I remember, first of all, it was really hot out. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was really, really hot. Um, but all those people that were there, and I was just kind of surprised. I was like, whoa, like, we can make a difference if we get people to actually do it and to pay attention. Um, do you think strikes, marches, sit-ins actually do something or do you think there needs to be like a way we can step up from that?
1: Yeah, that's 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 a great question. And I think as with any kind of initiative or approach or solution, it needs to be handled holistically. Um, and I'm, I'm on the core team for Illinois Youth Climate Movement um, which as um, Gianna was saying, um, basically organizes the strikes and the climate marches in Chicago and Illinois. It's basically Greta Thunberg's um, organization, Friday for Future, it's her branch in Illinois. Um, so yes, I certainly do believe that strikes and marches and sit-ins and protests, whether they be kind of forms of, um, forms of, of Lord, what's the word? Um, so it's such a, such a basic word. Um, It, it'll come to me. It'll come to okay. me. Uh, <laughs> civil, civil disobedience. That's OK, there you go. Out. Whether it be a form of civil disobedience or just a, a strike where, you know, it's totally legal and allowed. You're just walking down the street with a sign um, because that does a lot of things. One, it raises awareness to the public. And I feel like Fridays for Future has really done that. And it's really awakened everyone's eyes. But it also puts pressure on governments and corporations, because not only are now the public aware, but they're really demonstrating Kind of their sense of anger and fear you know at these governments and at corporations and that doesn't look good <laughs> that does not look good for them they do, they do not want you know children going in the streets who are essentially fearful for their future you know in 2016 um who the world health organization predicted that 600,000 um children had died from acute low respiratory infections caused directly by pollution Um, And 1.8 billion children are put uh, at serious health risk due to air pollution. Um, So just focusing on, you know, air pollution alone and environmentalism is so much more than just air pollution. But just talking about that, you know, youth are so impacted by the environmental crises. This is why I think it is really being pushed by them, you know, environmental movements. You know, throughout history, we've seen a lot of youth pushing different counterculture movements. But I see especially now kind of climate, the climate movement has really been pushed by youth because this is disproportionately impacting us as this is something that's happening now, but it's only getting worse in the future. And I feel like that's what's especially been impacted, impactful by these strikes is the youth going out in the streets, literally begging and fighting for their future and saying, you know, if you don't do it for us, we're gonna do it ourselves. So I feel like it's a big wake up call. That said though, if you just go to a strike and there's no follow up and all that kind of stuff, Governments and corporations and everyone that you're just pressuring, they're just going to try to sweep it under the rug because you know they're not changing for a reason, whether it just be short-term gain if they want to get re-elected immediately and don't want to focus on long-term plans or short-term economic gain and all that, all that fun corrupt jazz. Um, but it's really about having consistency, whether it's just consistent pressure or following that up with, you know, local initiatives and everything like that. So I feel like it does need to come from all sides, but in regards to making political action I feel like especially as someone who, um, who if you're too young to vote because you know voting is a it's a great form of protest um, you know directly kind of deciding who's in who's in office but
0: yeah that was a, a great answer about all that um, because when you talk about just doing that one thing and then like forgetting about it when we did when we did the walkout at my school there was a bunch of people that I recognized I was like I know you're out here just to get out of class. There's no way that you care about this stuff actually, Um, which sucks, but uh, maybe it'll cause them to actually think about something. I wanna ask you about um, in Times Square, there's that clock, I believe that's where that's located. I don't know what the official term uh, or the name of it, but it's the countdown, I don't know what they, is it 50 years? that they said or something like that? I, I don't remember. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can look it up right now just to see okay. what the exact time is. Um, They said climate clock. Um, yeah, I can't can't find it immediately. But basically, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, there's a big clock in New York counting down um, how many years we have to. I think it was like 30 by 2050, yeah. they said. I, I don't know. I don't
0: remember. I don't know the exact I, day either. No. But I did, I interviewed someone that I used to go to high school with who um, is, that's the best way to put this without hurting feelings is he's on the right side. And we talked about um, climate change a little bit. I don't know if you listened to that episode, but um, I don't know how they, I feel about, scientists putting like a time is it like supposed to like make us actually try and and get a green new deal passed or um is that like a for a for sure thing because I honestly don't know how I feel about the clock but that that guy really doesn't believe in climate change I was like okay we're gonna move on and talk about something else um
1: so I just want to know your thoughts about that so, yeah, in regards to kind of having a countdown and having a time, um, I think one of the reasons why I'm slightly against it is this sense of alarmism, um, which I think um, isn't always great. And I feel like because a lot of people, it just kind of contributes to the sense of homelessness, home, h- hopelessness, which kind of causes inaction. I feel like if you're so overwhelmed, you know, if you've got um, a thousand page essay the next day and you haven't even started you're just going to think well I'm, I'm just not going to start period. Um, so with the clock I think scientifically I think it's okay because I think it is it is backed up by scientific evidence um, for example um, different UN reports and different scientific reports saying that for example the point of no return that everyone talks about that's basically talking about scientists have predicted a set time where the effects of climate change that we've exhibited so far will be irreversible. That's not saying that we can't reduce the impact of climate change beyond then, but it's kind of this point where the earth hits a tipping point where we can't necessarily go back as easily to what we had, you know, say a few hundred years ago. So I do think it is important to have a sense of a time frame um, because I think, especially when deciding kind of political making political decisions and political time frames, that is definitely important to bear in mind. Um, but yeah. Th- the dates, specific dates, definitely vary, and I think any, as with any prediction, that's never going to be 100% accurate. But the point being, time is running out, and I think that is what's really crucial. And I think that's why the youth, especially acting now, you know, it's no longer, oh, I can wait 20 years, and then when I when I'm an adult, I can deal with this. This is we are running out of time, and this that's a scientific fact. We're running out of time as we further not only further damage the planet, but this is kind of like a an exponential sense of damage as it's getting worse and worse and worse, and it becomes increasingly harder to reverse. So, yeah, I think having something like a clock or having something like a countdown, not a huge fan because it kind of creates a sense of like anxiety, which, as I said, kind of makes people feel helpless and not do anything. But at the same time, I feel like it definitely is important for people to be aware aware of the time sensitivity of this issue.
0: So um, while you were talking, I was just thinking back of um, the Green New Deal. And was it started by um, AOC and the senator from Massachusetts? I believe they co-sponsored that. Yeah. Um, And I was thinking to what Ted Cruz said about like rejoining the Paris climate agreement, saying that we don't care what happens in Pittsburgh or something. I don't think he he, uh, understands what the Paris climate agreement is about. A lot of I've seen like people on the right complain and and I'm thinking that's why because they think it's just about Paris, the city of Paris and their climate. (laughs) Um, I don't think they actually know what it means. And they're just like, you don't care about American values. What about what's happening in Wyoming or the pipeline in South Dakota? I believe that's another thing that people are like, oh my God, the jobs. I think Mm -hmm. the Green New Deal, I'm not mistaken, would bring more jobs. Um, specifically towards making sure that you know climate change doesn't ruin the United States and the Paris climate agreement is actually a good thing do you know much about um, the Paris climate agreement that you want mm-hmm. to talk about
1: yeah off off the top of my head I can't kind of list everything that entails because I don't want to misquote anything but basically long story short um, it was in one of the cops cops 24 I don't, I'm not entirely sure, but it's basically a big climate summit that happened in Paris, hence the name Paris Climate Agreement. It's not just because we all really care about Paris's climate, although that is very important. um Basically, it was a it was a global agreement that many many countries signed up to that was basically committing to um, transitioning away from renewable energy and kind of globally protecting our planet because you know this does have to be a global solution as it is a global issue and we're all We need to all be equally protecting the global commons and, you know, the U.S. in particular, because, you know, the U.S. is the second largest greenhouse gas emitter in the world, you know, and we like to point our finger at China, who's the number one greenhouse gas gas emitter in the world. But a lot of China's um, greenhouse gas emissions come from manufacturing and actually a significant proportion of those greenhouse gas emissions of that manufacturing is due to manufacturing for the U.S. So, The U.S. holds a very big card in the the global climate game um, and therefore needs to be really pushing things like the Paris Climate Agreement so we can really be cleaning up the mess that we are making. Um, And in regards to like the Paris Climate Agreement and the Green New Deal gets gets a lot of slack um, for kind of economic reasons. And at first, it's understandable. Um, and the kind of the estimate for how much it's going to cost really varies Um, so people more kind of left-leaning estimate typically it's going to cost about 10 trillion dollars whereas people kind of further right although i don't like to kind of you know divide up like this but just speaking because there is there is a bias in people predicting these numbers between the left and the right so people more right-leaning predict it's going to cost us between um 50 to 93 trillion so we have kind of an estimate between i I don't know if i said 10 trillion in the beginning but 10 trillion and 93 trillion so quite very very large estimate yeah but big number (laughs) yeah yeah but point being first it sounds big but I am um, I'm, I'm for it because not only is this going to be preventing the economic damage due to climate change, if we're explicitly talking about economics here, if this is not only going to be preventing the economic, climate, economic damage due to climate change, but it's also going to be providing countless economic opportunities, just first of all, starting off with jobs. So solar energy currently only provides 2% of US's electricity. However, despite that, it provides more jobs and more employment than the entire fossil fuel industry combined. So this kind of argument that by um, investing more in renewable energy, we are going to be taking away from jobs. No, we're not going to be taking away from jobs. There are going to be people who are currently working in the fossil fuel industry who will no longer be working in the fossil fuel industry. But that is not meaning that kind of jobs are going to be going down in the energy sector. If anything, they're going up. And that that's already happening. That's already what we're seeing. So this this is really what things such as the Green New Deal and CEJA, which is Clean Energy Jobs Act, which is focused in Illinois. This is what they're trying to do. They're trying to create these economic opportunities through things like renewable energy and help helping people who are currently working in the fossil fuel industry transition um, sustainably to the renewable energy sector, which is going to be causing even more employment. And you know, not only that, if you crunch all the numbers, it, we are actually going to be making money, not only from the opportunities that we're having, as I just talked about, but also the money we're going to be saving. Um, so for example, um, a recent Stanford study estimates that between uh, 1998 and 2017, $75 billion out of nine, uh, $199 billion of flood damage was due to climate change. So approximately a third of the flood damage, um, which is adds up to $75 billion in the US across those about two decades can be attributed to climate change and that's just in flood damage alone. Um, So simple things like that, that really are adding up and this is goes across all different kinds of industries and all different kinds of sectors, as we're seeing, you know, the exacerbated effects of climate change, whether it be subtle changes in climate um, that are affecting our agricultural systems, or it be, you know, um, environmental disasters, such as the one we just saw in Texas. And um, the Texas um, incident that, well, not really an incident, the Texas disaster, more like where Texas essentially froze over um, due to a polar vortex, that's estimated to cost Texas about 50 $50 billion dollars so that's just one very significant but just one event Um, and all different kinds of these events are just going to be exacerbated by climate change and they're going to be popping up more and more Um, so the stats I gave at the beginning about 10 to 93 trillion that's estimated to cost us that over the next decade so if we add that up to the cost of climate change that is going to be occurring over the next decade I mean it's it's almost insignificant and it's just a no-brainer but you know, a lot of people who are thinking short term and especially just if they want to get reelected, um, that kind of long term gain is not really what they want to be explaining to everyone.
0: So with um, everything that happened in Texas, the governor of Texas, and I'm pretty sure I don't know if both senators from Texas said this, but they blamed the windows or, or the whatever you freaking call them. I, the wind turbines. Um, yeah, those things. Um, and there, nothing is winterized in Texas either. I mean, common sense would be, why would it be? But also at the same time, I feel like every state should be prepared for that. Um, blaming I mean, wind turbines doesn't make sense. And they're also not even that good for, um, the climate as well. I've read some studies about that, but it just. Oh, and the governor of Texas said that this is why we shouldn't have a Green New Deal. I just want to hear your thoughts on
1: that one. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, they they really went for the low hanging fruit there with the vines. So basically, um, I kind of went backwards on this one as to um, Texas, um, the Texas power grid was essentially had to be turned off um, to prevent it from totally failing. So it had to be turned off. Um, And this was happening because as you said, um, the energy, the energy grid in Texas, which they've decided is like independent from the rest of America to save money. Um, you know, if you want to do that, go ahead, but you have issues like this. Um, and I feel very sorry for you know Texans because this is a very unfortunate situation. So the energy uh, the energy grid was not winterized because you know although we receive um, temperatures like they had in Texas we received that here in Chicago we are used to these temperatures so they are winterized but in Texas they were not so it wasn't just the wind turbines that essentially kind of began to froze but it was gas lines and all things like that so it was kind of across the board on the energy grid everything started to freeze and you can have gas lines in cold conditions you can have wind turbines in cold conditions you know we have them in Denmark we have them in the Arctic so it I wouldn't necessarily blame the energy, um, because I don't really think it is a case of, oh, renewable energy was better in this situation, fossil fuels was better in this situation. I'm like, you know, this isn't really about that right now. (laughs) So, like, the big thing was just the politicians were essentially cheap and didn't winterize it, because as you said, you know, on first thought, why would you have to? But this is one of the issues of climate change, because um, anthropogenic climate change, which people get confused with climate, just climate change period. So, Just normal climate change is just the the Earth's kind of natural changing of the climate, which happens. We go into warming periods, cooling periods, but it happens over a very, very long period of time. What anthropogenic climate change is, and anthropogenic basically means human-caused, so you have anthropogenic, lots of different things, but anthropogenic climate change is the human-related increased increased rate of temperature increase on our planet due to human-related greenhouse gas emissions. And this increase in temperature changes our Earth's climate. And just for some quick, this is like boring definition stuff here, but it's important to know. Um, so the difference between weather and climate, um, which is why it agitates me when they're like, oh, it's it's hot today. We can't we can't have we can't have climate change because, you know, it was snowing, and now it's hot weather is like day to day stuff. Um, which you can kind of just you can just witness oh what's the weather today you don't say let me check today's climate really because climate is more long term and that's why a lot of these studies that are done by scientists are looking at like 600,000 year kind of um, like timelines here because climate is very long term things we're looking at here Um, so basically what the greenhouse does is kind of well this is like very large backstory on Texas here so apologies but (laughs) <laughs> the greenhouse is like a blanket, right? We need we need greenhouse gases to survive. Otherwise we would all die because all the heat would just leave and be like, oh, that's really sad and we can't have left on Earth. But having too much greenhouse gases is heating up our planet very, very quickly. And what happened with Texas, um, it was a process called sudden, stratos- st- sudden stratospheric warming, which is basically when the polar regions uh, heat up very, very quickly. So I just wrote it down here. So over the course of just a few days in late December, 2020 and early January, 2021, temperatures in the atmosphere high above the North Pole warmed by hundred degrees Fahrenheit which is about 56 degrees Celsius jumping from negative 110 degrees Fahrenheit to negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit which is about negative 76 degrees Celsius to 23 degrees Celsius. So very, very fast kind of warming here and sudden stratospheric warming where it suddenly heats up that's a natural process as I said before anthropogenic climate change is exacerbating these natural processes and making them much much worse so at first you're like okay polar vortex you know we got that in Chicago we're used to these polar vortexes but basically what happens when it heats up is the Arctic region has like this band of cold air which is like it's like seals all the arctics like cold air in. this is a very simplistic explanation but like like it keeps it there but as it heats up this kind of like container that we have over that it gets looser and looser and this cold air starts to escape so this is kind of what happens with this polar vortex as the cold air is like shot out as there's less of a like a constriction on it due to that cold air and those pressures so normally what it would do in southern stress warming is it would kind of be limited to the northern regions of the us but now what scientists are attributing to climate change is it's coming further south to regions like Texas. So actually um, kind of the, the polar vortex that was experienced, that was normal for the North of the US, but not the South of the US. That's, that's not normal and that's not natural. Um, and that's why it broke a lot of records. And that's why it couldn't have necessarily been, um, I guess, predicted unless you bear in mind anthropogenic climate change is literally every scientist saying, but... <laughs> that's kind of an overview on why it happened. Um, and it was not simply just due to wind turbines. It was due to climate change exacerbating the effects of sudden stratospheric warming and politicians not winterizing the energy grid.
0: Um, I hope that Governor Abbott is not reelected. I don't know when his um, term is up, but I'm really pushing for Beto to be elected mm-hmm. in Texas. Texas is turning blue possibly it could be the next Georgia Georgia was surprising that was like the word that was I thought Florida was going to be blue um this past year but it wasn't but that's like politics man I don't know how like I ever since um you know what I'm gonna Parkland ever since Parkland I've been more invested in um like gun safety climate change and politics I don't know how, I don't know how this happened. Um, No one in my family cares as much as I do. Even my sister, who's like, she's a freshman now. Um, We're four years apart. She doesn't care. I feel like, what do you think is the best way to get someone, uh, no matter the age? And you can break it down if you want to, like with with different ways, but what do you think is the best way to get people involved? Um, Or just to get them thinking about, what is currently happening
1: yeah that's a, that's a great question really important question that's what we try to focus a lot on on EcoCircle international and i think i think it really ranges across generations and across different ages and across people with different interests um, due to obvious reasons um, but i think there is kind of an overarching thing that based on based on my kind of knowledge and research and experience that can engage people. And I think education really is the foundation of that, because how can you care about an issue that you know nothing about? Um, And secondly, really seeing you can make a difference and you can make a change. And that's what, I was talking about before with this, the issue of alarmism um, contributing to the sense of helplessness, which contributes to inaction and leads to inaction. But I feel like if you're educated on an issue that may be concerning and may be very serious, and these are the kind of issues that we have to talk about, such as climate change, but you show people through either just telling them or allowing them to physically experience the fact that they can make a positive difference and they can make a change. Um, That's why, for example, with our fellowship at EcoCircle International, we really try to focus on turning education into tangible action because not only does the knowledge then stick with them more, but it's such a huge motivating factor because now they can see they actually have the power to make change and do something. And that also really gives people, including myself, a, a sense of purpose. And I think that's a big thing. Um, just giving yourself a sense of purpose and a sense of that you can make a positive impact you're not just this you know random person on earth who's just you know taking resources not giving anything back
0: that's a good answer (laughs) nice job um so i just in general with like people in our age range i feel like people have definitely started to to take some sort of action with whatever, you know, with March for Our Lives and then students demand action. Um, Sunrise Movement is one of them. Um, even on both sides of the political spectrum, we have like all these groups that are that are starting to form, I guess. And I guess it's a good thing because people are finding their voices. But at the same time, there's like lies from some sides or whatever. Um, do you think that our generation is, like, how do I word this correctly, uses their voice more than others, like other generations?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like that's due to a lot of factors, but I feel like a big factor in that is um, social media and really allowing people to have the platform and just the internet as well. Just, you know, you can find different communities, you can find platforms to voice your opinions on and educate yourself on. So not only are now people becoming educated on issues that go beyond just their hometown and, you know, finding out how they affect people's lives in, you know, um, Myanmar or Sudan or Kenya, but also, How they can make a change on that. And this goes back to just what I was talking about before with education and action. So now they're being educated on global issues that, you know, may have not been being discussed in their household or they just may not have been aware of at all. And now they're able to connect with individuals around the world and have the tools, you know, typically tools that you don't even have to pay for, um, at least pay for financially, um, to make a difference and make a change. And I feel like that is one of the largest dividing factors between our generations and others and I feel like once you get past that point I feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where people are becoming activists and they're motivating each other and then everyone's just getting involved and I think that's just a huge thing just educating yourself and getting involved and making action
0: that's a great way to end it um thank you again for for coming on this podcast I know you told me that you listen I hope I'm doing an okay job um at this at hosting and asking questions because I don't write anything down like I literally refuse to write anything down um because I've had other people ask me what are you gonna what are you gonna talk about today I don't know <laughs> I have no idea what I'm gonna talk about it just comes up in my head um but yeah oh thank you again so where where can uh we find you is there anything that you want to shout out promote yeah
1: yes there is actually thank you um so you can check our website out at www.ecocircleinternational.org whether you are interested in joining the fellowship if you're on north south or central america our next round of fellowships Starts in April. So if you liked what I was talking about and you want to get involved, um, we just meet once a week on Mondays for one and a half hours, totally free of charge. Um, We're not gatekeeping education. Anyone can get involved. Um, It's ages 12 to 18. And if you're not within that age bracket, um, just Send us a message if you want to get involved and we can help you get involved with ECI or different organizations and kind of just use your talents and use your passions for good. And also you can check our podcast out, Eco Insights. Um, and you can follow us on Instagram at EcoSuppoint. All of
0: that will be linked down below, but you're going to have to send me those links because um, mm, do. I don't want to have to go fishing. I don't have a fishing rod to, to do that. <laughs> so yeah, that's all you want to promote. Shout out. We're mm-hmm. good? All right. Yep, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end it here, everyone. So thank you again so much for listening to another episode of the Women's Sports Matter podcast. We will be talking about sports soon. We took a little break. The Challenge Cup is starting in the NWSL soon, next month. So I'm going to do a little preview of that coming up. Um, but thank you again, Georgia, for coming on. I really appreciate it. If you want to hear more episodes you should subscribe to my podcast because it's really cool and um, yeah you can find me on Twitter Um, at (laughs) you can find me on Twitter at WSM podcast I'm also on Instagram Woman sports matter Um, I'm also on YouTube yeah subscribe to my YouTube channel it's where all the episodes are posted for the most part I've been lagging a little bit because I'm lazy but the YouTube channel is the Women's Sports Matter podcast. Of course, we're still in a pandemic. So y'all know what we gotta do. We gotta wear a mask, wash your hands and social distance when you can. And if you're in a state where the idiot governors are like saying no more masks, guess what? If you're listening to this podcast, you have to wear one. It's, it's the law, you have to do it. So yeah, um, thank you so much for listening again. My name is Yonabel Castro. I'm your host. I will
1: see you next time. That's all, folks. Have a nice rest of your day.